1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast
2: presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Strap on your parachute, it's time for What Goes Up with Sarah Ponzik and Mike Regan.
1: Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a reporter on the cross-asset team.
3: And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor at Bloomberg. And, you know, Sarah, it occurred to me that a lot of people that listen to the show might not realize what a senior editor is. So I'll exp- I'll explain that. It just means I'm old. It's it's another word for old editor. You know, it Mike, it's, like it's, it's
1: more than that. It's more <laughs> than that. I'll, I'll, it is. <laughs> Take it if to heart. So. Take it to heart.
3: If you say so. I'm getting sensitive about my age, and you know, I've got I've got one of those round number birthdays coming up. It's, it's causing me a lot of uh, anxiety, a lot of reflection, round number resistance, if you will. Uh, but sorry, it's made me think a lot about sort of this generational divide we have now in the markets with sort of the younger people doing the Wall Street bets, Reddit type of trades. And I don't know how, you know, true that is. That might be a stereotype, but- it, For what it's worth, that's that's what the stereotype is. And then you have the old guys in the market. Um, And I've been thinking about you, Sarah, because I feel like it's it must be frustrating for you, because no matter, you know, how much progress has been made for you to do your job, you still have to talk to a bunch of old guys like me fairly regularly. You know, it's not maybe not be right, might not be fair, but you have to sort of communicate with old guys like me.
1: And what do you you think of our generation? You think we just don't want to talk to any anyone? And come on, Mike, you're not
3: old. Well, Well, here's what I what made me think about it is, is whenever you get two old guys together, say, I don't know, on this podcast and you. At some point, we all start just communicating in old movie lines, you know, it's like and and I know you it's got to be frustrating to hear two old guys all of a sudden sound like they're speaking another language, but really they're just like quoting Caddyshack or something. Uh, I just get confused.
1: So I, but by this I, point, usually if there's something I don't understand and if it's a reference, I just got to step back, let you do your thing and move on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's, that's it. But I've, I'm here to help you. I think we should open up the, the podcast hotline, not just for the craziest things people saw in markets this week. But if you have an old man movie suggestion for Sarah, call us up and let us know. What do you think?
1: Well, uh, it's a good time to let you know I'm actually off next week. So t- give me all the movie suggestions I'll have all the time in the world uh, and I'll watch them all. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that.
3: <laughs> I think we'll get some. I think we'll get some. And if you have some sort of millennial movie suggestions for me, I'm, I'm in the market, too. I'm, I'm open to all of that. So hit us up on the What Goes Up podcast. We'll give you at the, the number at the end of the show. That way we'll make you stick around for the entire show. But Sarah, if you're an old guy these days, it's also frustrating because if you have teenage children, all they want to do right now is trade whether it be crypto or getting on Robin Hood and Wall Street bets on Reddit, all they want to do is trade. And they look at us dads like, you idiot. If only you would let me trade, we could all be driving Lambos right now. Everyone in the house would have a Lambo if dad would just let me trade. The dog, the family dog could have its own Lambo just to still, you know, chew on the the stick shift, whatever a dog (laughs) would do with a Lambo. But so we've got some great guests this week who I know are are going through this very dynamic. It, it happened in my house, too. My my daughter wants to trade. She wants to get in there and buy some Tesla. And she thinks uh, she can make enough money to buy herself a Tesla is is her goal. Um, and I know a colleague of ours is, is going through the same thing at home. And he had a very interesting way of dealing with this issue. So let's bring him in and he'll talk about it with us. And we're very, very lucky that Not only do we have him, but we have his son on the other end of the trade here. So let's welcome him to the show. He's been on before. Uh, He's a hedge fund trader for years. Uh, Currency, macro, all sorts of bond, equity futures, you name it. He's an expert on all sorts of macro products. He is, in fact, our own macro man columnist at Bloomberg. His name is Cameron Christ. Cameron, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, like you, Mike, I'm having
2: a a milestone birthday, the very same milestone birthday this year. We're not going to we're not going to name it, but I think uh, anyone who sees this can probably uh can probably guess it and uh
1: well happy early birthday to both of you you. and and, and Sarah I'm
2: just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and give you a movie recommendation that I know Mike will endorse you got to see Fletch
1: I'm already regretting this I'm already regretting this (laughs) I'm gonna gonna have have a list of 50
3: movies by the end of the day you're gonna have a lot of homework but it'll make you finally understand where we're coming from I think you know, I think when Cameron and I were kids, it was like, hey, it's Thursday night. What are you doing tonight? And then I'd be like, well, I'm watching Cheers. And the other guy would be like, I'm watching Cheers, too. You know, no one's invented social media yet or, or no one's invented Netflix. What else are we, we supposed to do? So I think we all have this sort of common shared history that uh, in this day of just, you know, infinite entertainment is not the same. That, that's my big thought on, on that issue. So, uh, you know, call the podcast and tell me how I'm wrong about that. But that's in one corner. We're there. We have our macro man, Cameron Christ. In the other corner, we have his son who is itching to be a traitor. And I'm wishing him all the luck, all the luck in the world. His name is Patrick Christ. Patrick, welcome to the show.
4: I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, very happy to be able to share my opinion and the opinions of uh, many others my age. All right.
3: Excellent. Well, now we're
1: going to pit you against your dad. So so bring it. <laughs> But, uh, Karen, why don't you just start it off here, kick it off and walk us through this bet that the two of you had going on over the past week or so and, and how it came to be.
2: Okay. So we were, got to talking over the proverbial dinner table, uh, as, as it were about the whole wall street bets phenomenon and, and GameStop and how crazy the pricing was. And I said, well, it's obviously a bubble and it's obviously going to end badly. And Patrick, uh, who is a, uh, an enthusiastic uh, consumer of Reddit uh, content, uh, disagreed. Now, ordinarily I would have said, well, why don't you just uh, take a little position and, and, and learn the hard way. Uh, Unfortunately, or, uh, or fortunately, as it turned out, for Patrick, he has to abide by the same uh, trading restrictions that Bloomberg imposes that I do, which involves minimum holding periods, can't trade calls uh, or puts really. And uh, if he if he were to trade something, I couldn't write about it. So it kind of it really was a non-starter for him to to go on Robinhood in, uh, and and actually take a position. So we kind of we made a bet in 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 the best trading places um uh tradition you must know that one sarah come on you must know trading places so look the, the
1: truth is i do not and the reason i can tell you this is because we have a caller for the craziest things at the end of the show and we are going to hear a quote from trading places okay. uh, so, but that's all i say okay, for now Excellent. Okay? so
2: i digress so anyway and it, that should that should be top of her list uh, absolutely I mean, absolutely so and i will
4: say that uh my dad tried to make me watch it. It lasted about 15 minutes.
2: <laughs> Patrick, you're the man. <laughs> well, I mean, as you know, as you know, Mike, uh, and I, maybe you'll know at some point, Sarah, the best way to get your kid not to do something is to tell them to do it. Um, anyhow. Hey, at least he lasted 15 <laughs> minutes. Okay, anyhow, anyhow, go <laughs> anyhow uh, in best trading place of tradition, I figured we'd make we'd make a bet. So we had this conversation Tuesday of last week when GameStop closed, uh, I think, at about 147 or something like that. Uh, And Patrick said, well, it's easily going to go over 200 tomorrow. And I said, no way, man. So we set (laughs) an over-under for GameStop's closing share price on Wednesday of 200, and we bet a dollar. So that was one leg of the bet. Second leg of the heavy hitter. The second leg of the bet is <laughs> Patrick's like, well, this is easy because all of these Wall Street bet people are piling into these stocks, not only GameStop but the the Blackberries and Nokia's and AMC's, and they're going to drive this stuff crazy high. So I I can you know running a shadow portfolio, I can double my money. In three days, i.e., by the end of by the end of the week. Now, mind you, hundred percent return for an entire year is epic for someone who does this for a living. And here we have boy genius saying he can do it in three days. So that merited another bet. Uh, so we then tracked obviously the market uh, for the rest of the week, and Patrick triumphed handily in the first bet as GameStop closed at I think three forty seven. <laughs> uh, on On Wednesday, so frankly, if he just put all of his money on margin into GameStop uh, at the beginning of the day and uh, and closed it out on 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 Wednesday, he probably would have won the second leg of the bet. But alas and alack for him, uh, the Yolo stocks went up and then they started to go down. I think he ended up down fifteen percent or something, which given he was heavily heavily margin, could have been uh, could have been worse. So
3: it ended up being Wait, a scratch. So- so you're allowing margin in in these paper trades. Well, That's interesting. What kind of margin uh, uh, rate are you giving them?
2: He well Pat I'll let Patrick discuss the uh, he used an app so I'll let Patrick talk about that.
4: Yeah, I used um like an online stock simulator. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what the margin rate is. I think my um, I think it was at most like at negative $100,000 for cash given a $100,000 starting value so I assume it's 100%. Um, and uh, for the record, I wanted the bet to be higher. I was go- I was willing to bet uh, a GameStop stock for whatever price it would end up at. But he wanted to. Well, yeah. <laughs> keep it yeah. Nice and low.
2: For, well, <laughs> for the it's well, uh, the, a lesson in risk management because he wanted me to bet like a dollar per uh, per difference. So for every dollar the GameStop was yeah, away works, yeah. from the over under, he wanted to bet a dollar and. I mean, obviously, I knew that if I was wrong, I would probably be spectacularly wrong. So I, I, I capped my losses at a dollar. So, young grasshopper, let that be a lesson.
3: Yeah, I don't, this, this, this son here, has, son of yours, has a future. I think uh, in this business, Cameron. I like, I like his instincts there. I like the levered up instinct. If you can triple lever on GameStop, I, I want to start a triple levered Wall Street bets ETF, and uh, I, I'm sure that would go. Oh, you know, it,
2: it would go so well. It, it, it is an apt. Um, manifestation of this phenomenon because Robinhood I believe when you sign up the the basic account they give you is automatically a margin account and uh, I think there's probably something a little wrong with that it you know it's kind of going going in pretty heavy pretty early
1: So, so wait, so Patrick, we know you won the GameStop bet, uh, but walk us through how you went about trying to craft your portfolio to make 100% in three days. What kind of stocks were you looking at? Why did you choose the ones you did? how you position? Give us some color there.
4: Um, so my initial idea was to go all on GameStop, exclusively GameStop. I think I bought around uh, 650 shares of it at well, I tried to buy it uh, uh, whatever it ended on on Tuesday, but I could only get it um, like two ninety-ish on Wednesday. Um, so at, at first, I tried to go solely for GameStop because um, I thought it would have the best returns. But then, you know, I, been, I took uh, personal finance earlier this year. You know, you're supposed to diversify your portfolio, so I, go, I decided to go for some other stocks. You know, your AMC, your BlackBerry, or your Nokia—that's real
1: diversification in twenty twenty-one. Yeah,
4: <laughs> um, so. I bought um I don't remember exactly how much. I think I tried to get like twenty thousand dollars worth of each. Um and then, you know, however many, probably about eighty or ninety thousand in GameStop. Um and I think the diversification actually harmed me in the long run because GameStop was much more profitable the long, the for long me. Run. I could have cashed out
1: in <laughs> yeah, the long run.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think at my peak I was up forty percent sometime on Thursday. So I could have cashed out and made a solid profit, but I want to I want to win the bet. Um, but then wh- while GameStop was still going up, my uh, diversified stocks started going down. So I, was, I wasn't sure if I should sell. And uh, uh, ultimately, you know, I lost the bet.
3: Uh, hey, you're you're one in one. You won one bet. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I was when I heard about this, I was rooting for you from the get go. And I'll tell you why. Now, your dad is known as the macro man. There are a lot of macro men and women out there. Um, go to a pub in London at like four oh one, and you'll you'll see a lot of them. Uh, maybe four oh two. Um, they all think they can trade stonks, right, Cameron? All macro traders believe they they can secretly trade stonks.
2: Well, uh, you know, it's it's funny because on a professional basis. I would actually almost argue the opposite it it' just the nature of the way that macro has evolved over the over the prickly and since the the crisis it's like you're only allowed to be short stocks if you're a macro person, which given what the stock market's done over the last twelve thirteen years is kind of trading with both arms and both <laughs> legs tied behind your uh, tied behind your back but yeah. yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that uh most macro people look at the sort of analysis that goes on in uh the equity space and think thinks it's a little maybe a little shallow and that uh uh the equity people are uh' the, the they're the beneficiaries of of cheap money and and cheap insight rather than any uh fundamental uh, uh
3: profound truths of the universe. <laughs> That's that's just talking stocks, not even getting into stocks. Yes.
1: Make it very clear with the (laughs) end. Patrick, I know. I mean, you have a leg up because you have a dad who works in the industry. But when did you become interested in all of this? And would you say that that increased over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months even? uh, And I mean, is this something that you talk about with your friends a lot? And give us give us a sense of that.
4: Um, So I'd say that my interest in. Trading kind of spawned off of my interest in economics. Obviously, you know, I had some interest because obviously my dad's a trader. So we talked about that sporadically. Um, but I took economics last year and I really enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things we talked about occasionally uh, was the stock market and how economic trends would influence that. Uh, for example, when the coronavirus hit, we were talking about uh, whether it was a supply shock because, um, you know, we weren't really sure what it was. Uh, so we we're trying to analyze it through an economic lens and see how it how it would recover based on that. Um, so I kind of, I, I had a portfolio that was a little more orthodox last year sometime. I uh, don't really remember what happened to it. I think I kind of forgot it. Um, but yeah, no, this year or the past couple of weeks, it's definitely been, um, my interest has definitely been picking up. Um, yeah. I'm, a lot of my friends are interested too. We've talked about it in a couple of my classes at school. Um, but contrary to what I feel a lot of people in the industry think, think, not everyone's on the same side of GameStop. Um, you know, a couple of my friends uh in my literature group chat are actually you know, they think they think it's what Wall Street Bets is doing uh, is illegal.
3: And Patrick, you're you're in high school. You're like a junior or senior, something like uh, that? A senior. A senior, okay. And I want to dive into that idea you mentioned, you know, and and the media sometimes gets this stuff wrong, let's be honest. But, you know, there's been this narrative in the media that it's kind of a sort of David versus Goliath. Almost there's this sort of, you know, uh, moral side of the Wall Street bets trying to take on take on the man, take on the suits. Um, I got to say, you know, Sarah, back in the day, that that would have been something I would be. Be interested into you can tell I'm getting old though because I'm not really interested in sticking it to the man anymore I'm like someone's gonna get hurt someone's gonna get hurt <laughs> don't um, run with scissors <laughs> but don't right right but Patrick is how big of an, an element is that is it really sort of this this moral aspect to it you know of, of taking on sort of the the power structure uh, uh, in the economy or is it just guys and girls having fun and and trying to make money I mean is it is it Really that simple, just that motivation to make a few bucks? Or is there something more from your opinion?
4: Uh, I think it's somewhere in between. Um, And don't worry, you're not alone. My dad also kind of holds the same opinion as you.
1: Um. (laughs) Um, Cameron, that was your son calling you old, I believe.
2: (laughs) Wasn't the first time and won't be the last.
4: So uh, among the Wall Street best community, there are definitely some who are just in it, you know, in it for the memes. They want to make a few bucks. But there's also some people, um, like you said, who are in it for the moral aspect. There was um, posts a post couple, a couple of days ago who said, who's talking about how deeply they were hit by the 2008 financial crisis and how, you know, they saw um, many of people involved kind of got, got away with nothing. So this was some way of, kind of acting, enacting some uh, financial penance on them. Um, in a way that, you know, Congress didn't really do. So for, for them, it wasn't just, obviously they were trying to make money, but at the same time they were trying to right the wrongs that they experienced, uh, a dozen or so years back.
1: Were you a member of, of wall street bets or were you aware of it before it kind of just blew up in the past couple of weeks? I know it's been popular for a while now.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I've been a member for a few months. Um, you no, know, it had, it was growing, I'd say steadily. It was at, um, maybe one or two million members before this whole salary began. Um, I, I, I mean, it wasn't my favorite um, subreddit by any means, but, uh, you know, as, as a member, I was somewhat active. Um, and a lot of, I, I would say, they sort of have this attitude about them regarding stocks that they are, they are really the, the David. Um, they realize that they're not smart. They often post their losses, often the tens of thousands, because they re- recognize that the trades that are making a ris- are risky, and they're, you know, they, they often don't work. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say they, they do definitely see, see themselves um, as the David. But I think they also recognize that maybe they are the David if David hit himself in the head with a sling.
3: <laughs> That's pretty funny. Cameron, I want to ask you, though, you know, obviously, a lot of the strategies that that these traders are employing are, you know, maybe what at least used to be less liquid names, high short interest, you know, that that sort of thing. From your perspective as a, a macro-oriented uh, type of trader and, and now a columnist, um do you see any risk of this type of behavior sort of getting pointed towards the, the macro world? Now, I know you look at the currency market, six, $6 trillion dollars a day. You know, on first blush, it's probably too big of a market for this type of thing to, to make a dent. But I don't know if you start looking at like risk reversal positions and say, I don't know, the, the Looney, you know, kiwi pair or something like that. Are, are there ways these guys uh, could start making dents in the FX or, or the bond market or any other non-sort of uh, meme stock type of situations in the markets.
2: Uh, maybe in a in a very ephemeral way. Uh, I, I don't think they can have the the same magnitude of impact certainly that they had in some of these YOLO stocks simply because the liquidity is so much uh, so much greater. And you know the thing is is that typically a lot of the esoteric stuff like what you've referred to on the derivative side you, is traded over the counter. And that's not a venue where uh, Robinhood can, can provide, provide liquidity um, for, for, for example. Uh, but for sure uh, if they were to gang up on maybe a, a listed option on an ETF uh, that, it corresponds to a macro product, you know, like maybe silver, which is kind of famously a liquid for a macro product. Um, then, if everyone bought a bunch of calls or a bunch of puts on silver, could that have uh, an impact for for a few days? Yeah, I I, I think so. Uh, I know even when I was a portfolio manager, and I wanted to running a big portfolio, and I wanted to take a position in silver, an option position in silver, uh, I used the ETF rather than rather than uh, rather than the futures so that's certainly a venue potentially that they could they could have an impact but broadly speaking I mean macro is called macro for a reason and macro means big uh, uh, so the, the the degree of participation and the liquidity I think would preclude some of these hit and run type tactics
1: so Patrick bring it back to you I have two questions one, would you say that you've learned anything um, from the bet that you made with your dad, uh, anything at all over the past couple of weeks? And two, it, do you think this is something that you and your friends are going to continue to do? Even those that might be newer to this, now that they've been pulled into this trend and their interest has been peaked, Do you see this as something that's going to continue?
4: Um, so as for your first question, uh, I will say I experienced a little bit of hubris. Um, I, I recognize now that 100% in a week is a little a little, little more improbable than I... Yeah, three days. Is, <laughs> uh, maybe a week is possible, but three days is definitely uh, definitely a challenge.
3: A, a little ambitious, um, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah,
4: a little, a bit ambitious. yeah, a bit ambitious. <laughs> um, so I definitely need to temper my aspirations a little bit. Um, but at the same time, um, this, this has been a learning experience um, in the sense that... Uh, this, I feel that um, the opportunity to learn will come in the coming weeks uh, when we see, is GameStop going to you know, sit at a comfortable level greater than what it was, say, a few months ago? You know, is there going to be a, a meaningful impact from the GameStop community or from the Wall Street Desk community? Or just, is it just going to be a spike and then a return to what it was? And I also feel that uh, less will be learned from whether or not um, Congress is going to pass any laws restricting this sort of thing from happening again. Um, a couple of days ago, I watched a, a YouTube video examining the legality of this. And um, personally, I don't think it's so cut and dry. Um, I think that the what would primarily concern this, because um, a lot of people are saying this is a pump and dump scheme, and obviously that's illegal. Um, so I, um, if I remember correctly, under the Commodities Exchange Act of... Actually, I don't know when it was from. Um, but basically... There's um, the market too. manipulation.
3: do. not worry about it. Yeah. <laughs>
4: um, so because they're accusing this of being blatant market manipulation, um, you know, you have to subject it to a test, which under the Commodities Exchange Act. Uh, so the first stipulation is whether or not the accused, the, that being Wall Street bets, uh, had the ability to influence the market prices. And I don't think anyone would deny that they did have the ability to influence. Uh, GameStop did not reach 400 out of thin air. Um, the second stipulation asks uh, whether Wall Street Bets specifically intended to create or affect a price or a price trend that uh, doesn't uh, reflect legitimate forces of supply and demand. And I think that is the stipulation that is a little a little more of a gray area, because um, as Wall Street Bets now has 8 million members, and obviously not all of them are investing in the stock, but even if only a tenth of them do, eight, and 800,000 invest, at what point... Um, is it considered legitimate? You know, these people aren't managing portfolios of people, uh, of other people's money. This is their own money, so obviously, um, it's, it's not legitimate in the sense that um, it's not legitimate in the sense that they're not buying it to hold over a long time, but they are buying it with their own money. So, what could one consider that to be legitimate? So I think that's the question that prosecutors are going to have to ask. Um, and going back to the going back to the test, um, the third the third stipulation is also pretty gray. Um, it asks um, it asks whether artificial prices existed, um, and the fourth stipulation asks whether Wall Street Best caused the artificial prices. So I think again, Wall Street bets did affect these prices. There's no denying that. But is is it artificial? Um, I, I think as um as the time's gone on, I'm I'm leaning more to it. it is artificial because as we're seeing today, it's dropping to I don't know where it ended at, like seventy. Yours.
2: Um, Yours. Sorry. <laughs> it's uh. Let's see. It's uh. I'll tell you where it is. As we speak, the 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 uh, the wonder
3: of the Bloomberg terminal,
2: fifty five yeah so and that's so, as yeah. if
3: we're uh, we're recording this on thursday afternoon so About you're, 20 minutes uh, before the close yeah <laughs> your uh your results may differ as they say stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week so cameron and patrick i i hope you came prepared with the craziest thing you saw in markets this week i know everything's been crazy but uh uh, Cameron, let's kick it off with you. What's the craziest thing you I'm see? going
2: off-piste. Uh, the craziest thing I saw was something I saw on Twitter last weekend, which was an interchange between the two of you, where it emerged that Sarah's <laughs> nickname is Ponzi. How have you not used <laughs> this? That means by definition, any plan that she has to achieve anything in her life is a Ponzi scheme. i have been not <laughs> used this? All right.
1: I want to make this clear, though. Mike is trying to establish my new nickname as the Pons. It is a much more the mature Pons. version of Ponzi, <laughs> and it doesn't subject me to what you are stipulating. OK, uh, uh, Cameron,
2: uh, actually, to, to square the circle and go back to old entertainment. Do you know who the Fonz is? I actually do know okay. that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> very, good, very good. I,
1: I Wait, can you say know, yes to that one.
3: Ponzi is a great nickname, but it's hard to be a professional financial journalist and have your phone calls returned when uh, when you call up and say, can you tell them Ponzi I th- calls? I, yeah. I think you
2: guys should change the name
3: of the podcast to Ponzi Schemes and
2: Regan's Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. Um,
1: but I've got to say, and I did say I wasn't going to let you off the hook, Mike, because at Financial Gambler, one of our listeners of the podcast said, OK, Michael's high school nickname must be discussed on the next episode. You'll get a five-star podcast rating from me, 100%. So in honor of a five-star rating, Mike, I think you have to share with us what your high school nickname was.
3: I'm going to say this, Sarah. Um, the bid of one five-star rating, my ask is a little higher. There's a, We still got a spread there. So, uh, And I don't know if this is uh, podcast rating manipulations. Maybe Apple will <laughs> be in touch with us, but... We're currently at 147 ratings on Apple Podcasts. I think if you get us 10 more, if we get to 157 by next week, I have two high school nicknames. Uh, one of them's very flattering, one of them's very embarrassing. If we get to 157, I'll, I'll give you the flattering nickname. But we got to get to 200 to get the embarrassing nickname uh, out of me. I've
1: got to say, if you won't share the flattering one with us today, then it gives me the feeling that the flattering one can't be that flattering. But we'll wait wait to hear it. it. It might be flattering, but it's probably
3: not accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say both were were given to me on the basketball court. So take that for for what it's worth. Uh, (laughs) All right. shows is just sort of how mediocre my career was. Everyone uh, get
1: to rating the podcast.
3: Yeah. 100, if we get to 157 ratings, and I won't even make them be five-star. I don't want to get charged with uh, rating manipulation. If we get to 157, I'll give you the flattering nickname. 200 ratings gets you the not-so-flattering nickname. Okay, that's fair.
4: All right? Um, if I may interject, if we're on the subject of nicknames, we all know that uh, my dad, Cameron Christ, likes to refer to himself as the um, macro man. But my brother and I, because he is a little bit shorter than us, you know, he's... <laughs> What are you, 5'9"? Um, my brother now <laughs> six, one and I are 6'1 and 6'2, respectively. Or, I guess, 6'2 and 6'1, respectively. We, we, we lovingly refer to him as the microman. So, <laughs> yeah. you may be... Uh, Real
2: funny.
1: Cameron, this is what you get, is what you get for allowing your son uh, knew, to come the the with with on the podcast I knew I wanted kid on the show. I knew
4: and I know wanted this kid for I'm you tonight. Right For the rest... <laughs> For the record, if you if you check your WhatsApp, I I I was gonna say earlier, but I resisted. But if we're on the subject of nicknames, I I I,
3: I have to say. You
1: had to do it. We'll, do we'll it. take it. We'll take it. We
3: appreciate it. I think you just got us another five-star review with that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely. So Patrick, how about you? Did you see anything crazy uh in the last week? Uh, so I think that
4: the craziest thing that I've seen is um just how much uh financial institutions are trying to use Wall Street bets as a means to influence activity. Um, obviously your article about um, bot activity among Wall Street bets, I, as a member, I've seen it. Um, you know, there was a post that blew up that had um, a, uh, an account posting the exact same comment, basically saying, oh, you should sell, you should sell, uh, a little over for about a week ago, I believe. Um, and also... Um, uh, the uh, media outlets consistently saying that uh, silver is you know Wall Street Bats' n- next big thing. Personally, I don't I want to uh, comment on, on, on uh, you know on Wall Street Bats at large. I've seen maybe one post um, touting silver as invest-worthy maybe a week ago, and t- 10 posts saying, hey, this isn't us. I don't know where they're saying this is us. So I, th- I think, I mean, I don't know if this is going to continue. Maybe once GameStop dies down, they'll it to uh to... Uh, a little more traditional investment advice instead of just saying, "Oh, Wall Street Best likes it," yeah.
3: but I think
4: that's uh, worth noting at the current time.
3: That's interesting. That's really because that was the the narrative, and there was a, people mistakenly assuming the street was was short silver when when there's really not a lot of evidence for that. It's pretty. It's a fascinating dynamic all around. I got I to say
1: it is, and um, I can say there's been a lot of pushback on the silver narrative. You see it all over social media and on Wall Street yeah. Bets too. So.
3: Oh, and Sarah, as you pointed out, we did get a voicemail into the What Goes Up hotline, uh, and it does quote an old man movie. So let's uh, let's give it a listen. This is Steve from New Jersey, and this is a message for What Goes Up. I believe this video audio explains exactly what's going on with Robin Hood. Tell them the good part. <laughs> the good part, William, is that no matter whether our clients
2: make money or lose money, Duke and Duke big
3: commissions so I know Cameron knows that movie Sarah what's your best guess it's not Fletch
1: trading places I mean I I, I did my due diligence before the <laughs> podcast but I'll be completely honest I when, when the vo- the voicemail came in I I had to send it to Mike and say I've got to say. I don't get this. <laughs> Do you get this? And if so, can you explain it to me? So yes, I'll add it to my uh, my weeks long homework of, of watching old man movies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the perennial homework assignment. I know it's a, it's a tough one. But uh, <laughs> all right, I'll give you mine. Mine is you know as as we all know, I like the alternative asset class, and the more alternative, the better. This one is certainly crazy. It's also a little disturbing, so I won't make any jokes about it, or not too many jokes, but. There is an auction coming up for, give me a little drum roll here, Hitler's Toilet Seat. Hitler's Toilet Seat is up for auction. Uh, This is courtesy of the the New York Post, which is um, uh, sort of the paper record for crazy market things. Apparently, when the GIs stormed uh, the Eagle's Nest retreat of the Nazis in World War II, One of the, uh, I don't know if it was a, an officer or whatever rank he was, told the guys, go grab what it, grab some souvenirs if you want. So one one guy grabbed a couple oil paintings and grabbed Hitler's toilet seat, which is now up for auction. And sorry, you know what that means. It's time for a little price discovery here. What do you think the auction house is hoping the winning bid will be for Hitler's toilet seat?
1: I mean, I have no idea. I can't say that. I'd pay anything for that. But
3: uh me neither. I know it's <laughs> it's really weird people collect this stuff. It's kind of disturbing, but well, it's just uh, the reserve you know, or the or the target price. Well, it's it's they, they didn't really dis- the, explain it too well in the story. They said this is what the I guess it would be the target price, what the auction house thinks that they're going to they're going to sell it for.
1: I'll go ahead and guess 1000. I I can never... It's some weeks I'm I'm way too high. The next time I guess high. And it's something that's ridiculously low. And then I come in and I guess low and it's something that's ridiculously high. So this is going to be way higher than a thousand dollars. I'm going to go ahead and say.
3: I don't think Hitler's toilet seats worth anything. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay anything for it. But knowing that there's people out there that uh, for whatever reason would would want to own this. Now, Kevin, remember, Price's right. Rules are in effect. So you could go a thousand one. But but your son here is kind of a savvy operator. So, I, you know, it, it, it's up to you. What's I'll what's say 20K. 20K. Uh, 15,000 is what they're expecting. 15,000. 15, oh, 15, so Sarah 000.
2: wins. I should have, I should have, I should have bet a thousand and one. Look at although, that. If, 1, although, given that we're old men and we like Caddyshack closest to the pin rules really should be in effect. And closest to the pin, works. I would win.
1: I was playing closest not how to the this pin. Works. But it's he's not how this do, works. He's
3: got a point. He's got a point though. We do follow prices, right rules. So, but we can, we can follow up on this and see what it actually sells for. And, and, and uh, Maybe there's a push to be had there. But Sarah, what do you have? What's the craziest thing you got this week?
1: All right. So uh, in honor of the Super Bowl, there was a story that came out about um, some cards and uh, some rookie cards selling for records. So one of them being Patrick Mahomes. So 2017 Panini National Treasures, number 161, Patrick Mahomes signed Patch Rookie Card. Supposedly only five exist. Was bought at $861,000. And that makes it the most expensive football card ever sold. Wow. Um, so, and the dude's
2: only been playing wow. three or four years. That's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, pretty wild. And then also, I, I will point out one other because it's a commercial and it was also hysterical. I mean, wait a Let, me, way to let ca- me just
3: ask one. I got to ask one thing first. Go ahead. Was the, was the winning bidder named Patrick Mahomes?
1: <laughs> uh, it doesn't say so, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think he needs it. <laughs> but, uh, but also, pretty crazy. Did you guys see the uh, Popeyes commercial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. Oh, the free chicken tenders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ch- yeah. Ch- chicken tendies. Yeah. I
1: mean, if if any more uh, tendies commercials make their way into Super Bowl Sunday, it'll be pretty funny.
3: It's a strange new world. <laughs> it is. It's a, the the crazy things have become. Well, I guess things, is, some, I is yes, one of the
2: jewelers going to make an ad for diamond hands or something? <laughs> Jared, they Diamond should, by Jared. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could, I could see it. I, I mean, maybe they're not hitting their target audience, but uh you know, why not?
4: <laughs> well, did you see the? Um, I saw on Twitter yesterday, uh, a rapper had a diamond implanted into his face, so maybe they can do the same thing for their hands.
1: <laughs> Genius.
4: <laughs> diamond heads
1: remember everyone I know Mike mentioned it earlier in the show but if you want to give us a call leave us a voicemail maybe we'll play it on the show that number is 646-324-3490 um, I feel like we could all have fun for, for much longer and keep chatting but we're gonna have to leave it there so macro man and uh, micro boy thanks you for coming on the right. show <laughs> <right>. what goes up will be back next week until then you can find us on the bloomberg terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on apple podcasts so more listeners can find us and you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. And you can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at podcasts. Also, thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
0: your business further with the smart and flexible American Express business gold card it's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases that's the powerful backing of American Express learn more at Americanexpress.com/business Gold card
2: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage but what will the next phase of AI adoption look like Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate?